Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Good morning, Bay Area. My name is Kaylee. Thanks for joining us online today. Um, first off, I just wanna say Happy Memorial Day. Today we remember all of those brave men and women who have died serving us in this country. We just wanna say how grateful we are for your sacrifice. Um, if you're new or just joining us for the first time today, we're so excited that you're here and we'd love to hear from you. So if you could just take a few seconds to fill out our virtual connect card, um, you can actually find the link for that in either the chat or the comment section. And that's it for me, short and sweet. So let's get ready to worship together. Hey, good morning, Bay Area. Just hanging out in my backyard, thinking through and praying about what we're all gonna experience this weekend um, in our homes as we gather online. And the, the word that keeps popping up is the word life. Like most of you, I wanna live in a home that's full of joy, a peaceful home, a, a home that I actually wanna come back to after a long day's work. Well, believe it or not, you and I actually have the power to create the environment we wanna live in. The writer of Proverbs tells us that the power of life and death are found in the tongue. Whatever we speak actually becomes part of the environment we live in. And so when you speak something negative, you're actually fostering a negative atmosphere. But when you begin to speak positivity, and more than positivity, when you begin to speak the beautiful truths of Jesus, your home starts to get saturated with faith, with hope, and with love. I think we all want more of that, don't we? And so this morning, I want to invite you to participate with us and to sing out and to take inventory of how the words we're singing are actually affecting the people around you and your environment as a whole. I really believe that when we begin to declare, not just sing, but declare the truths of Jesus, it has the ability to completely shift our atmosphere. What more could we ask for? There's nothing better than the presence of God. So come on, let's enter in and let's sing out about this awesome God who loves us so much and wants life for us. Okay. 
Good morning, Bay Area. My name is Greg St. Cyr. I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor. And now it's our privilege to worship the Lord through giving. When I think about giving, I think about a fundamental principle. It goes like this. God owns it. I steward it. And when we realize that God owns it all and we're called to be stewards, then it leads us to do a couple of things. It leads us first to surrender. Lord, I surrender myself to you, all that I am and all that I have, it's yours. And then the second is faith. Lord, I step out in faith and I trust you. When we do that, we step into the jet stream of God's grace. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 which says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you will have an abundance for every good deed. That's God's grace. And it's a response to our surrender and faith. A couple of years ago, we started a generosity initiative known as Unrivaled. And through that, we have seen God do some amazing things. Well, Unrivaled is going to be wrapping up the end of June. And I want to first thank every person who has given anything over the last couple of years. You are furthering the kingdom. I especially want to thank those who made faith-stretching commitments. I want to encourage you, along with me and Mary Kay, let's as a church family finish strong that God would use our resources to do incredible things. You can give online, you can give by way of text, or you can send a check into the Annapolis campus. Just designate the campus of your gift and know how grateful we are. Also, if you're struggling financially because of the pandemic, we are here for you. You can go online and let us know and we'll gladly contact you so we can come alongside. Father, thank you that you are the owner of everything, that you've called us just to steward well, make us good stewards, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to lead us now in a time of prayer as a church family. And there's a scripture that I was reading two days ago that really impacted me. I want to share it with you. It's from Isaiah chapter 33, verse 5 and verse 6. It reads like this. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. And he will be the stability of your times. What a great verse. He is exalted and he is our stability. And that's how I want us to pray. So let's first now, as a church family from your own living room, I want us to take a moment and exalt the Lord. That means to praise and magnify the Lord. So I want to invite you to think of an attribute of God, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy, whatever it might be. And now let's bow and I would invite you just to pray that attribute. Lord, I praise you for, I worship you for, and you can just name that out loud. If you're more comfortable praying silently, that's fine, but let's exalt the Lord together. So let's pray.
it says that God will be the stability in our times. He is our place of stability. And so let's pray for friends, loved ones, family members, work associates. Let's bring their needs before the Lord's, our needs and their needs, and ask the Lord now to be their stability. So from your living room or wherever you are, just name people in your lives and pray for them and their needs. Let's do that together. And finally, Monday is Memorial Day. So we want to remember those of our military who made the ultimate sacrifice of laying down their life so that we could be free. I also want us as a church family to pray for our leadership, our church leadership, as we are working so diligently to transition back to our gatherings. I know there's a longing for all of us we want to get back together. We want to worship together and meet together. We want to do it God's way, God's timing. We want to do it in a unified way. So let's pray now for our leadership as we make plans. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for Bay Area Community Church and I pray, Lord, reign over your church here. May our eyes be on Jesus. We do pray for the leadership as we work through the plans to reopen and to begin gathering and to begin meeting. We want to do it wisely in your timing. We pray for unity in our midst. We do remember our, those in the military, but particularly those who have sacrificed their lives so that we could be free in our country. We thank you for their impact and their legacy. We exalt you, Lord, King of Kings, the reigning sovereign God. And Lord, we entrust you as the one who is our stability. We look towards you and bring our needs to you. We give you thanks as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everybody. Pat Linnell coming at you from the corner office. Good to be with you this Sunday morning. Good to be back in the Word and doing church together online with Jesus at home. So today I'm actually going to start a two-part sermon. It's going to be a little bit of a cliffhanger. I'm excited to get into it because we're going to look at faith, faith steps, and the way God does amazing things through sometimes the simplest acts of faith or the simplest steps of faith. And so we're gonna dig into a little bit of the book of Ruth, but before we do that, I wanna show you a picture that uh, was taken about a month ago. I'm gonna have it up here for you. This is the patio of Chad's Barbecue, a little, little wings place right down in Edgewater. And this was Easter weekend, actually, where Christy, who was part of leading a team of different kinds of people to deliver meals to the different hospitals on Easter in Anne Arundel County. Well, Christy is also a Grace Bomber at heart and she wanted to next level that. And so she assembled a missional community from Bay Area, came to help out and basically turned the patio of Chad's Barbecue into assembly line, putting together little Grace Bombs that would sort of go above and beyond the meal that the folks were gonna receive. Now, she was packing together dessert and a little note card, and the note card said to the employees of the hospitals, 
hey, go check out this uh, Facebook group that we started just for you. And at that time, three to 400 people had gone on and either put a photo or a video or words of encouragement to bless those people who were serving at those hospitals. And so I wanted to show you that picture because actually, let me go back here for a second. Two years or three years before this uh, cool kingdom thing that was happening was a little table right over there in that corner where Kristen and I were sitting. And it was right over in that little corner where we just took a, a little step of faith, just a little step of faith to bless our neighbor who had had a meal or a, a check skipped out on. You know, the, there was a couple dining and they, they walked out on the check. And Kristen and I felt like this is just a normal little step of faith to take to bless that waitress. And it ended up coming back to Christy uh, and really becoming a big part of Christy's story. That little step of faith that we got to take in the corner of the patio of Chad's Barbecue a few years later down the line was continuing to have ripple effects, if you will, of the kingdom. And I bring that up this morning just to demonstrate that it's sometimes through normal people, normal families, everyday settings, where a little step of faith is taken that can go on to do far more than we ever thought or far more than we ever could have imagined. Now, you might not consider yourself a giant uh, spiritual faith step-taking person, but I want to tell you that faith steps are for all of us. And by our faith, we actually please the Lord. And by our faith steps, we actually grow. And so we're going to look at the book of Ruth just for a couple of minutes this morning. Because, you know, when, if you don't know where the book of Ruth is, it actually is the eighth book inside of the Old Testament. And if you remember back to the Sesame Street days, where it was like one of these things does not belong here, well, you're, you're flipping through the beginning pages of the Old Testament and you see these spiritual giants like Moses and then come the judges and Gideon and Samson and then, and then eventually you get to the period of the kings with Saul and David and Solomon and so many gigantic stories of people of faith. Abraham, let's not forget him. And then right, right there in the beginning of all of that is Ruth. <laughs> Ruth just kind of pops up and you're like, what is Ruth doing here? This is a story about a normal family, uh, a woman who's not even an Israelite. Like, what is the deal? Well, God loves to work through the normal and he loves to work through the everyday. And so I'm excited to get into this with you. But before I do and we get into the context, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pause here just for a moment to say thank you for your good and helpful word, altogether practical, altogether beneficial. And now as we look at what you have for us today, I pray that you would do only what you can do, empower us by the Holy Spirit to be changed from the inside out and help us to become more like Jesus, people of faith and people who take great steps of faith towards you. And all God's people said, amen. All right, now I realize that when we go Old Testament and you were just coming off Habakkuk, sometimes some of these um, names and people and places might seem very foreign or not familiar. So let me set the context this way. 
with something we haven't had in a little while, some good old stick figures. Let me introduce the main characters, at least in the beginning of the story, so you can see what's happening here. Because what the author here is gonna do, he's gonna set up this amazing uh, context for us for a step of faith. So you have a couple, and the couple's name was Elimelech and Naomi. They were Israelites. They were from Bethlehem. Uh, you would know Bethlehem because that's, you know, where the little manger was when Jesus was born, that little town in Bethlehem, same place. And so that's their hometown. That's where they're from. And they have two sons, Malon and Kilion. And the drama begins to unfold because there is a famine in the land of Bethlehem. This is also in the time of the judges. And so they had entered into the promised land through Joshua. They're in their land, but now they're facing problems because if you know anything about the Old Testament, the Israelites time and time again sort of didn't listen to God and they ended up with problems and the famine may have been a result of one of those times of not following God. So there's a famine and so the family decides to travel to Moab. Moab is outside of the promised land. Moab is a heathen territory. It's a place where people would be worshiping false gods and idols. But the family, because of the famine, decides to go to Moab. And so they journey to Moab. While they're in Moab, a couple of things happen in the story. Uh, first, Elimelech dies and Naomi becomes a widow. But there's still hope because she has two sons. The two sons also get married while they're in Moab, but they marry Moabite women. And so these are people outside of God's covenant people. And we're told that uh, they, they marry Orpah and Ruth. So these are the two ladies married to the two guys. And they spend about a decade in Moab. But then tragedy strikes Naomi's life again. And what happens to uh, the family, the boys now both die in their time in Moab. So this is really a bad situation, especially if you were to take yourself back to that time and to that culture. Um, to be a widow was not great. And hopefully your family would be able to care for you and provide for you. And if you had sons, that's a really good thing because they would carry on the family name, they would carry on the family inheritance, but without sons, it's problematic. And Naomi went from hopeful to hopeless, and now she's left with her little immediate family of two other widows, her daughters-in-law. So you have three widows in Moab, and things are not looking good. The times are bleak, Das disaster has struck Naomi. The men are dead. But what all of this does in chapter one, it actually sets this context for a beautiful, a beautiful step of faith. So Naomi decides that she is going to go back to Bethlehem, but she's going to, you know, go back to her people and, and see if she can make, make things work. Uh, but she's going to encourage the daughters-in-law to go back and stay in Moab. So are you tracking with me so far in the story? Maybe you're familiar with the story and you're like, yeah, Pat, I get it. Like get to the next part. Well, some of us were hearing this for the first time. So I want to let this sink in. So let me share with you a couple of verses out of chapter one, verses eight and nine in chapter one. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. So go back 
to your parents who are still living. There's still hope for you. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse nine, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each one of you in the house of her husband. She kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. And so she says, girls, I love you, but I'm going back to where I came from. You still have a life that you can build here. You can potentially get remarried here among your people. Uh, stay back. And clearly there was an endearing relationship between these three women because they were broke up over this and they were crying and they lifted up their voices. There was a sweet bond and it was a reasonable request that Naomi had made. But then the daughters, they, the daughters-in-law, they say to her in verse 10, no, we will return with you, with you to your people. So the first inclination of both women was, no, we'll go with you. Like we're familiar with you. We've been growing up with you. We'll stay with you. We'll go. But Naomi pushes back, verse 11. She urges them to stay back. She says, turn back my daughters. Why would you go with me? She's gonna reason with them here. Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? So she's saying, I can't provide for you. Turn back, verse 12. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear you sons, would you wait therefore until they were grown? She's saying your husbands are dead. I'm very old. I cannot produce for you another son who can become your husband. Why would you wait that long? And she says, why would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So Naomi is pleading, she's urging, she makes sense. I mean, she's making a reasonable case. We also see that Naomi's in a bit of a dark place and struggling. She says, God is against me. God's hand is against me. He's clearly causing these things to happen in my life. And I feel bad for you guys that you have to live with the hand that I'm being dealt. So verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But check this out, the end of verse 14. Ruth clung to her. So Orpah says, okay, I'm going to go back. Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. And Naomi says, wait, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi's really fighting here to go back as, as, as a bitter, lonely widow. But there's something happening in Ruth's heart. There's something happening in Ruth's resolve. Perhaps in, those, in the decade of being with her, of learning about the God of Israel, of worshiping the God of Israel, her heart has grown fond of the true and living God, not the gods back here in Moab. And she's determined to stick with Naomi. And, and into this story comes a beam of light and, and faith. And so this little text I'll put up behind me here so you can follow along. In verse 16, Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. 
For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. You just got to let that sink in for a minute. I mean, that is grit. That is commitment. That is faith. That's a faith step to say, I am going to stick with you regardless of the outcome. My God is your God and your God's my God. This is Naomi in, you know, in, in modern day terms saying, this is ride or die. We are, I'm going down with you. You got to understand that you got to stop pushing me to go back to the false gods of Moab because I'm going with you and your house to perhaps serve the Lord. You know, in discussing this, this text here earlier this week, our missional community, Pastor Allen, um, he kind of weighed in and he said, you know, it's like, it's like Ruth was dying here. She was dying to the old way of her, her life in Moab. She was dying to those false gods. She was dying to that identity. And she's taking a step into newness, in, into the unknown. And there was a real death. And we see that. I mean, this is, this is an amazing commitment that this woman is making. Now, what? okay, so here's, here's the story up to this point. I guess I could have just shown this and it would have been, it would have been all good. Naomi, back to Bethlehem. Orpah, back to Moab. And Ruth, sticking with Naomi. So what happens to the women? What comes of this little step of faith? What are the ripple effects years and years down the line from this normal family, this normal person taking this step of faith? Well... As I said before, this is a two-part sermon, and the answers to what happens are for next week. So next week, you gotta tune back in, and we'll cover the rest of the book of Ruth, and we'll talk about why this book was in there, and what came of this step of faith. And that's about as far as we're gonna get, because I wanna pause here, and I wanna turn the, the Bible spotlight onto our hearts just for a moment. Because God is pleased by these steps of faith. But let's talk about just for a moment the anatomy, if you will, of a step of faith. Because I actually see three things here in Ruth's clinging and gritty, determined commitment to stay with this woman of God. Uh, three, three pieces of the equation that I think are very much applicable for all of us. And when I say all of us, I definitely mean all of us. I'm speaking to myself. You know, one of the great benefits of taking time and getting into the Bible and preparing a sermon or a message is the fact that you have to then wrestle with these very things personally. And so I do take all these things very personally as well. So here's the, the first um, part of this faith step that I see. Number one when it comes to a step of faith, there has to be some invisibility. 
And what I mean by that is there's got to be a degree of uncertainty, a degree of the unknown outcome, uh, because that is the nature of faith. And that is really the beginning of faith. It's moving towards that which you can't see, but that which you hope for, and that which you are confident of to be true, but yet it is invisible. And so in Ruth's case, clearly the, the winning strategy for most thinking people would not be, yeah, let me go with the widow back to the place where there is a famine that she left 10 years ago, because who knows how it's gonna go in Bethlehem. The winning strategy would have been, I'm young, I, I'm still a, a hot commodity on the market in Moab, I can go back as a widow and I might be able to land myself another man. I mean, that's what Orpah did, Ruth could have done that. But she doesn't take the worldly winning strategy, she takes the invisible strategy, the step of faith strategy that says, because of my love for what I know about you, Naomi, and because of my love for what I've come to learn about the God of Israel, oh, I'm, I'm walking in that direction. I'm going that way. And you know, the author of Hebrews also makes this clear for the believers. So later in the New Testament, we see Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse three. The author says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. It's a little bit wordy, but what he's saying here is, we're taking it by faith that the invisible realm was the agency of the creation of the universe. That the material things that we can see and taste and touch here and now did not come about by anything material. In fact, it was the invisible realm that spoke the visible realm into existence and that is really the beginning point of faith. The beginning point of faith, before you even get to the faith step, is that there's a God and he's personal and I can know him and I can trust that he is indeed the creator. A couple verses later, the author would also say this very important thing about faith and what would then proceed to be faith steps. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, so we just saw that, and that he rewards those who seek him. So in the pursuit of faith and the seeking of God in faith, we also know that there is a reward. And not like, oh, I'm going to get a Lambo. The reward is I get to know God. I get to know that there's a relationship that has been created for me, and that is my purpose in life is to walk with this creator and to be a part of that relationship. And that, friends, is the beginning. That The beginning of that relationship is that step of faith towards the invisible. And so many of the things that you might be called to do in this life will have an unknown outcome. And that is a part of the equation. The second aspect or the second piece of the puzzle here is that there is a, a heavenly desire Moving towards God is what I have written up on the screen. But it's a, it's a heart to honor God. It's the desire to move in the direction of God's will. Perhaps it's something he's clearly expressed in his word and you're moving towards that. Or something he's laid on your heart that, that coincides with what he's told you in his word and he's compelling you to move towards that. 
as opposed to the flesh and the wisdom of our mind and of our peer group and of our world that tells us we need to move in a particular direction. And there's a lot of little different scriptures that I could share that point towards this, but I'll pull one from Proverbs that you're probably going to be familiar with, and I'm glad that you are familiar with it. You might recognize this in pursuing God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So what the proverb here is is encouraging us to do is to lean into God, to trust God, to step towards him, as opposed to what seems to be wise in your own eyes, what seems to be what everybody else is doing. The nature of a faith step is you're kind of pulling yourself out of yourself and you're moving towards God. That's clearly what Ruth was doing. She was taking a step away from the idols and and the worship of those gods back in her hometown and she was heading towards the direction of the true and living God. That's true of a faith step also. And there's one third and final element or anatomy of a faith step and it's this one represented in these two arrows that mean get on it, action, activate, There's gotta be action, there's gotta be effort. A faith step is just that. It is the, it's the compulsion that we put behind our muscles and faculties to to do something or do something different than we've done before. So it's not just cognitively understanding and learning and growing, it's the practical outworking. And I know I'm Captain Obvious here, but I think it's important that we look at all of these facets as we're about to reflect on our own hearts. So the action of Ruth is she journeyed on. She went on with Naomi. She decides I'm gonna go, ride or die, hardcore style. Now, James in the New Testament reminds all the believers that a faith that's stepping, a faith that's working and living and active is gonna be backed up with action or effort. He describes it this way. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He's just calling out the obvious. Also, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we're reminded here and from Jesus himself who says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the winds blew and the storm came, but his, his house remained standing. We're, we know that we, not, we need to be not just hearers, but doers. And this is part of action. This is part of, of effort. And we might not have thought we would see all of that in Ruth's couple of verses that says, where you go, I'll go, and where you die, I'll die. But all of those things are present. There's invisibility. Who knows what's going to happen when I take this step of faith? There's moving towards God. God's there. It's his will. It's his direction. It's it's the worship of him. And I'm doing something about it. I'm getting off the sofa, and I'm putting my faith into action. Now, In closing here, 
I want us to be, um, just take a moment to reflect. Because perhaps there is uh, an area of our life today that we're being called to take a real, no kidding, step of faith. And now those steps of faith look very different. That's why I have these six words up behind me. And let me just point out what these words represent. They actually represent, no kidding, real deal faith steps that you might be called to take even today. Let me start with prayer. Prayer and praying intentionally and earnestly and carving time out to pray is a step of faith. Some would say that prayer is a, is a language of faith. Part of the invisibility there is you're believing that you're not just having an imaginary conversation with, with no one, but that there is a receiver who you do not see, who you have hope and confidence in. And, you know, a lot of times in my life, I kind of jump to the do it, fix it, get after it, and I leave out the altogether important, crucial undergirding and work and action of prayer. So I don't know, maybe you have something going on in your life where you've had a flurry of activity around it, but you really haven't sought the Lord's face in prayer. Well, to take the time out of your day to pray, that's a step of faith. It might be one that he's calling you to. Rest is another step of faith. Now, it's a step of faith into relaxing, but that's a step of faith. Because in our seven day a week, 24 seven mentality, I'm building, I'm working, I'm growing, I'm doing, especially those of you who are entrepreneurial in spirit and you're building businesses, you're running households, you're keeping it all together. It can be very easy just to keep on checking the email, keep on scrolling through the text, keeping on with social media, so much so that you do not trust God to take a break. I have been guilty of this. You can tell from passion and rather and the things, the, the memories rattling around in my mind. But rest is a big deal, and rest is a step of faith. Rest is saying, I'm gonna take a day off on a weekly rhythm because God is in charge and He will run my world when I'm not keeping all the plates spinning. That there's a God in heaven, and I can go to sleep at night knowing that he's going to keep doing what he has been doing for a really long time. Generosity might be another step of faith. And you know, when I think about generosity, I think about just being a steward and having a step of faith that says, God owns all of this and he's calling me to manage this and to steward it well and to be open-handed and in the words of my brother Greg, to be uh, extravagantly generous, to be to have that that joy that follows being very open-handed uh, as a giver who cannot outgive God, and this is scary for a lot of us. Uh, Greg would also say that the last thing to be converted is people's wallets, and that's because it can be so hard to to release some of our our funds and to steward our our funds in giving. But that's a step of faith because that's a step of faith that says, well, okay, God is the provider. He's given me this. And if I manage it well, he will continue to provide. There's this thing in our flesh that we feel as human beings that if we give away our things, 
we're not going to have what we need. But I, the promises that I see in scripture are to the contrary. The contrary says, no, if, if you're going to be joyfully giving and a good steward of what I've entrusted to you, you're going to lack nothing. That's a step of faith to, to believe that. And so that might be for some of you guys today. Loving your neighbor. This is one of the most simple commands of Jesus for all believers. And I feel like, honestly, loving your neighbor is the leading edge of the Great Commission. You know, we're called to go and make disciples from here to the nations. But I contend that if we can't break the ice with a neighbor in love, practically speaking, being light in their world, giving them warmth, pointing them to Jesus in a fun and loving way, if I can't do that, I'm not going to tell that neighbor about the Romans road, that the wages of sin is death and the free gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, because that's churchy, that's difficult, and I got to gear up for that. And so loving your neighbor in simple and everyday ways sounds so easy. But for some of us, that's a, that's a big step of faith that we might need to take. Maybe this word repentance has been staring at you from back here for a moment. Maybe the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. But simply put, we can, we can put things, uh, walls, uh, people, habits, patterns, whatever it might be. We can put things in between us and Jesus. As believers, we can do that. We can ignore him. We can quench the Spirit. And repentance is simply saying, I'm going to change my mind about these things that are coming between me and Jesus. And the action, the faith step, is actually to, to change your mind about that and to turn away from and move from those things. And in moving from those things, you're moving towards Jesus. And so there could be a lot of different things there. But if that's you, that, that might be a step of faith needed today to move towards him. That would be pleasing to him. And finally, this last one, this last idea of a potential step of faith is commitment. And by commitment, I have a few different relationships in mind. The first relationship being our relationship with Jesus. You know, there was a period of my life where although I was kind of in a relationship with Jesus, I wasn't, I was not fully committed. I was kind of like, um, the other sister-in-law who said, I'm going to go back to where it's a little bit easier and more comfortable. I'm not going to cling to you as you go back to Bethlehem. I was more like that person. And looking back on those times, it was like, yeah, I was not fully committed with the grit and the determination and the resolve that I was going to ride or die with Jesus. And honestly, you know, these days, I probably have more good days than bad days, but there are days where I have to ask myself, am I really all in with Christ? Or am I starting to care a little bit more about what people think? Am I starting to care a little bit more about the bank account? Am I trying to take life into my own hands? Or am I ride or die with Jesus? And can I just say, I mean, this is just a word of encouragement for all of us, that sold out commitment to Jesus, the God who we can see all the effects 
of, of his life, death, and resurrection, but we can't see him right now. We can't touch him. There's the, you know, he is our invisible savior currently. Although we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and he'll, he'll speak to us in different ways. But I just need to speak this over my own heart that being committed to Jesus full on, 100%, with the grit and the resolve of Ruth is, is probably the very best way you can spend any day, any week, any month, any life. I believe that to be true, but honestly, I have a hard time sometimes living that out, so I need to go back to the repentance word. <laughs> I gotta go back to repentance, get back to my commitment to Jesus. But I also have in mind another different relationship, and that um, another one near and dear to my heart being marriage. You know, marriage is this relationship uh, given as a gift from God to people, and you know, th I think sometimes we can take that gift for granted and we can not have that resolve and grit and determination with a spouse. And maybe, maybe there's a step of faith where you need to re-up in your marriage to say, I'm ride or die. Like, would your, would your spouse, and I'll just speak for a moment to the marrieds watching, and I'll address the singles just a second, but to the married folks, when you look into each, other, each other's eyes, can you sort of hear the words of Ruth reverberating? Like, where you go, I will go. Your people be my people. Your kids will be my kids. Your problems will be your, my problems. Your in-laws will be my in-laws. Your drama is going to be my drama. The things that you're caring about, I'm going to be empathetic about. Like, is there that happening in the relationship? Well, that might be a step of faith to say, I'm gonna die to myself and I'm gonna be ride or die with the person that I have covenanted with and promised God to be with forever. And maybe that's a step of faith. And I know I'm not catching everybody here, but for my single folks, for you, it just might be your commitment to Christ in your singleness, resolving that for right now, he is enough and that you be able to follow him in holiness as you walk out your faith adventure in whatever might be for you coming up next. So these are just a few ways that I wanted us to think about very practically, and, and you might have others in your everyday life here, and consider your next step of faith. Because God's honored by it, he uses it, he works through it. Next week, we're gonna see this amazing outcome, and. Sometimes the outcomes of faith aren't, are not amazing, and we're going to talk about that too. But let me, let me close by asking this question. Let me leave you with this thought. What is the next right faith step for you today? And let me pray for us here in closing, because maybe the Lord will lay something on our hearts before we get back to business as usual. So Heavenly Father, we say thank you again for your word. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thanks for Ruth's example of faith. And thank you for being sovereign and orchestrating events as a result of some of the faith steps that we take. So I pray this morning that you would lay on our hearts, maybe not the big things today, but maybe it's just a simple thing. Maybe it's just a small thing. Maybe it's something in the corner of the patio at Chad's that, that you intend for years down the line to continue to impact souls. 
What is it, Lord? What is it? And I pray that you give me and my brothers and sisters here this morning the strength and the resolve and the grit to take that next right step. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, next week, we're going to actually take communion together as a church family during the gathering. So if you'd like to participate, just make sure to have some juice and either some crackers or some bread on hand. And that's it for us. Have a great week, Bay Area. See you next Sunday.